Welcome to Real Life Christianity with Deacon John Lozano. This podcast is about real life and living it in the light of the gospel. It's about real things, everyday things, about relationships at home and at work, about real issues that the world presents every day. Deacon John is a deacon, but he's also a husband, a father, a businessman, as well as an experienced counselor, educator, and author. Deacon John invites us to come as you are as he brings the transformative power of the gospel down from the clouds to real life, to your life. I'd like to start with a gospel that is read at uh, the morning uh, of Easter in just about every Christian tradition. In, in our tradition, it's the gospel for every Easter Sunday morning. It's kind of a, a big deal. It's from John chapter 20, and it says, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdala came to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark and saw the stone removed from the tomb so she ran and went Simon, get Simon and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and told them, they've taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple went and came to the tomb. Uh, they ran, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and arrived at the tomb. He bent down and saw the burial cloths there, but did not go in. And when Simon, Peter arrived to him, after him, he went into the tomb saw the burial cloths and the cloth that had covered his head, not with the others, but rolled up in a separate place. And the other disciple also went in. The one who had arrived to the tomb first, he saw and believed. Friends, Christianity began in a graveyard. It began among dead people. And Mary goes to the grave in darkness, which is the biblical way of saying in unfaith. There's no faith. She's going to a grave probably for the same reason we go to a grave. To reflect, be quiet, say a prayer, think about the finality of our life. We visit graves. But this is no ordinary grave here. In fact... What she encounters is so new, so different, so novel. She runs away in terror and upheaval. What did she say? They've taken him away. Of course she says this. What else could she say? She had no place to put this. No one knew what this was. Peter and John show up in darkness, in unfaith. They go in. They look, it's like, what is this? Wait a minute. Could it be? Could it be what he said? It is. And they believed. And they encountered the risen Jesus. And that encounter was the beginning of Christian faith. 
And they gave witness to others who then gave witness, and they gave witness, and they gave witness to this encounter. And we are here because we stand on the witness of that encounter. You see, friends, they met him. And everything in our life of faith is determined by that. It turns everything upside down in life. We see things differently, ourselves in reality. And we certainly see death, our greatest fear, completely new. Christianity has one message. He is risen. He is alive. He is among us. And he is meant to be encountered in our life. Right now. No less than what happened there. You see, uh, in science, uh, they call it a paradigm shift. Uh, scientists say they struggle with things, uh, and then they have this breakthrough insight. And it's a fundamental change in how they view the world. And it doesn't come from study or analysis. It just They say it, it just kind of comes to them. And they get something they never got before. And that's somewhat like what happened to Peter and John. The difference is this, is a person. I'm going to tell you a little story of my life recently. I was watching Villanova basketball a couple years ago, you know, as they're heading for the final championship, NCAAs. And so I decided uh, one time to, uh, it was like a couple of games into the finals, getting really close. So I thought I'd go watch it on a big screen, and I went to a pizza place. So I'm sitting there eating my pizza, and uh, a guy sits next to me, and uh, he's very chatty. And he asks the inevitable question, so what do you do? I love that question. Well, I own a small business. I work part-time in the church, and I'm a deacon. Now, when I say that, I usually get one of two responses. The first response is usually, oh, that's very nice. The other response I get, which surprisingly is quite often, is the person will turn and launch into me about God and church and all kinds of stuff, which was the case with this guy. He starts off with his opening line. Oh, yeah, yeah, I used to have faith. I was in the seminary for four years in California. I'm an atheist now, and I'm much happier. Okay. How to take that one in a bit, and uh, you know, a guy's chatting away, he's very, very bright as an engineer, he's made a lot of money, traveled the country, started companies, sharp as a tack, going at it, uh, find out his loss of faith was his brother, someone he loved, died, and he couldn't reconcile how God would let a good person die, which is totally understandable struggle. So I shared some thoughts with him about that and helped a little bit. But then we just got on talking about sports and politics, you know, Donald Trump. Oof, so he was going at it. Then uh, I noticed, you know, there's discontent. He had achieved so much, but it was clear he's, he's looking. You know, he's clear he has that hole that Pascal talks about, that 
that God-shaped hole within each of us that only, only God can fill. And him, like many, are just trying to fill that hole. <laughs> but it's not full. So we're chatting about other things, and it's about time to go, and I, uh, I'm thinking about him, praying for him. And so finally I turn to him at the end. I say, you know, I, I just have this hunch, I guess. I don't think you've ever met him. It was the first time he didn't have a response. And then I turned to him, and I did something. I've never done this in my life. Uh, in front of all these people, his name is Peter, <laughs> Peter the Bible. So I turned to him, and I, I put my hands on his shoulder, and I look at him in the eye, and I say, Peter, his name's Jesus. And he loves you, Peter. And he so wants you to meet him whenever you're ready. And he got very silent. And then he left. Friends, if Jesus was here, he would be putting his hands on your shoulder, his hands on your cheek. He would look you in the eye and he would call you by name. Mary and Tom and Susie. It is Jesus. I love you. And I want you to meet me again and again. He wants to do that right now, tonight. Because it's kind of all he wants to do. It's all he really cares about. It's what, he, it's what he does, like that, golly, that beautiful song we sang. I, it's been years since I sang it. Uh, the Father, you're, 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 you're a good, good father. It's like who you are, and he loves me, and that's who I am. It, that's it. You see, friends, it's the encounter of Jesus Christ that determines everything. With it, everything in the life of faith or this discipleship thing's possible. Without it, it just doesn't happen. Now, here's, here's a question for you to think about. How does that happen in your life? Well, it happens because God wants it. He wants it. Not so much because we want it. It's because all he wants is you know, I like to ask this question often. Why are you here tonight? Why do you have faith? Why do you go to church? Why am I a Catholic, a Christian? Why do I observe things? Oh, I don't know. A lot of people say I had good parents. I had grandparents of faith. I went to a good school. I read a good book. I had these great influences. That's great. You know. Friends, there are many people with good parents and grandparents, and read good books, and gone to good schools, who don't have faith. Somehow in the mystery of God's mercy and human freedom, he has reached out to you by name and let you meet him. It's something of this mystery of his mercy that we're here today. We can't explain it. 
We didn't earn it, and we didn't make it happen. See, he's been wooing you all your life. He's been luring you. He's been romancing you like a guy's after a gal, a gal's after... He's romancing you, and he's still doing it. He's romancing you now. Uh, I came across this just recently. I thought I'd share it with you. You've heard this before. It's Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49 is this little chapter in Isaiah, and the people of Israel are struggling with what's happening. But it begins with this certain line. It ends with this line that is utterly remarkable. It starts with this. The Lord called me from birth, from my mother's womb. He gave me my name. Do you know there's a time when you were conceived, you existed, and no one knew it? There was a conception in your mother's womb, and there was hours, probably days and weeks, and maybe even months, where you existed, and no one knew it, except for him. He knew you then and loved you then. See, in the Bible, uh, when you say you know somebody, it doesn't mean, you know, you have this head knowledge and you understand rationally everything. No, it, it means there's a personal intimacy with the other. That means when we were conceived and no one knew, there was divine personal intimacy with us. And we didn't know it. We're just still getting it now. And then it says, but Zion said, the Lord's forgotten me. He has forsaken me. Like we all feel sometimes, very distant from God. Why is this happening? Where are you? And then he says, he ends the section with this line you've heard that is just, Remarkable. Can a mother forget her infant? Be without tenderness for the child of her womb? Yet even, even if she forgets, I will never forget you. See, upon the palms of my hands, I've written your name. See, here's the thing. Jesus rose with his wound. The strange thing that the risen Jesus still has his wounds because he's written you on the wound. He's written you and me there. So we're always with him. We're always loved by him. We're never apart. I'll tell you a story about it, what it's like to be and I know a lot of you folks already know this, so, but it helps. It's, it's a true story I found out later. It was about a, a party in England, in Britain, and there was this famous actor. I found out later who it was, world famous. And he was at this party, and uh, there was this uh, old missionary there. And everybody was egging the guy on. They said, you know, I want you to get up and do some oration because you're world famous, you're amazing. And he goes, well, I will if you get the missionary to come up, because I'll recite Psalm 23, but only if he does. 
So all the people went to the missionary. You know, this guy's been doing this for his whole life, serving God. And, and they said, come on, he's reticent and shy. He didn't want to do it. And finally they egged him on. He said, okay. So the famous actor gets up. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. In green patterns, pastures he leads me. And so at the end of this great oration, everybody gets up and applauds his great skill at speaking. So then this little missionary, this old guy gets up there, kind of sheepishly and quiet. He closes his eyes. The Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing I shall want. He speaks from his life with the shepherd. And at the end, they said you could look around the room and there was silence, but there were tears in people's eyes. And the great orator, actor said, that's the difference between knowing something about the shepherd and knowing the shepherd, knowing him. That's what our life is meant to be. This is what he wants more than anything. This God who loves us to folly. He loves us to folly. And all he wants to do is be good to you to his heart's content. You know, in the gospel today in our church, it said, uh, Jesus said, you love them even as you love me. You love them even as you love me. There's no different love there. He says, they are your gift to me. You are God's gift to Jesus. I wish that where I am, they also may be. So all God wishes <laughs> is for you to be with him. All he wants is to be with you. He doesn't say, go do things, don't earn degrees, go, go change the world. First, all he wants is just to be with you. Last week, we read in the gospel, if you love me, we will come to him and make our dwelling with them. So where does God dwell? <laughs> in you. <laughs> he dwells in you. You are the dwelling place of God, and so am I. I don't know about you, but this stuff gets it's hard for me. It's hard for me to believe this. It's hard for me to think this isn't something I don't do, that he's doing in me, that he wants, that he wants it that much. Yeah, yeah, he wants it, he loves me, but to get it like this, this is hard. Friends, I'm going to share a few thoughts on the conducive conditions to make this happen in your life. The book I wrote is a, it's a book on conducive conditions. It's the tools to help us encounter Jesus. You know, nobody can make faith happen, right? I couldn't make it to the guy in the pizza shop. You, you can't make it happen to somebody. Nobody can make grace happen. It's kind of like a I know Neil and I like the garden, you know, and uh, if you're a gardener, you put a, a seed in the ground, right? Uh, and you can't make it happen. <laughs> it just kind of happens. It's kind of a miracle. This little seed grows up. What you can do 
is you can create conducive conditions, right? You can water it, you can get sun on it, you can fertilize it, you can create conditions for that growth to happen. And it happens more likely. Friends, you and I, if we want this, can create the conducive conditions in our life for the encounter with this kind of God to happen in a regular way in our life. Like really happen. Something like breath in our life. So there's three conducive conditions. This is your little uh, take home, which you all know these, but uh, uh, what, what is it Samuel, uh, somebody said that what people need is not instruction, but to be reminded. The gospel <laughs> comes again and again and again. So what are the three conditions? Prayer, service, and community. So I'm going to be very brief because I have a short amount of time. Uh, but prayer. There's this line in uh, Luke chapter 11. He was praying at a certain place. And when he was finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. You know, one of the ways to read the Bible in prayer is to use imagination. So you imagine yourself in the scene. So sometimes I, I go in this scene and, you know, they're in the fields, right? So the disciples are here and Jesus is probably a stone's throw away right over there praying, right? So a lot of mornings, they must have like looked at him. They must have watched Jesus pray. I wonder what that was like. And then Jesus would, would walk to them, and they could see Jesus after he prayed. I wonder what it was like to see Jesus after he prayed. I wonder what his face looked like. I wonder what his countenance was like. What was in his eyes when he, when he left his prayer? And I think what happened is the disciples said, I don't know what it is you got, but I want that. Teach us to pray. And so he does. The same love that the Father has for Jesus is the love he has for us. It is the life of prayer that he had. The same that he so longs for for us. He doesn't just parcel it out like you're a good boy or girl, I'll give you a little bit of this. He just wants to give it to us. You know, when you're uh, in love with someone, a lot of times you don't speak. <laughs> you gaze in the person's eyes of your lover. Or a child, you hold an arm, you, you, you gaze at the child, you don't say anything, you can't even think anything. Because you're caught up in something. You're caught up in someone. Catherine of Siena said, we become what we gaze upon. See, prayer is, I hate to make it really simple, but it really is, it's, letting God love you. Now, we, uh, we have a hard time with prayer. Uh, a lot of us would say, I'm not really good at that. I don't got the kind of words you have. I'm not trained. Um, you know, I have lousy prayer times. I'm distracted. I'm tired. Uh, 
I'd leave prayer and say, that wasn't a really good prayer. We judge our prayer, don't we? Yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good? No, no, I was like distracted and I fell asleep. And I was thinking about all the people I'm angry with and all the things I got to do. And so it wasn't a good prayer. Really? It wasn't a good prayer. No, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. No, 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 no. So we judge our prayer. It's a good prayer and bad prayer. Well, no. <laughs> See, here's the alarmingly good news. If you get this, it's going to like set you free. We can all pray. We can all pray. And it's all good. It's all good. Because it's what he does in the prayer, not us. It's all efficacious, effective. If you had a, uh, a child, I love this story, uh, he's in grade school, or a niece and nephew, and it's Father's Day or Mother's Day or something like that, and their job, their little assignment was to make you a Mother's Day, Father's Day card, or, you know, birthday card. So uh, your little child's at grade school and comes home with the card to you as your, the mom and dad and say, well, dad and mom, I, I wasn't really good with words, so I, I got Tommy to write the words, and I'm not really good at drawing, so Sally's really good, so I got her to draw for me, so, so here's your card. No, <laughs> no, you don't, you don't want that. You want their words. You want their drawing. And when you get that, you never say or think, oh, that was misspelled, or you got, you know, you, oh, those colors don't match, and you went way off there. No, you don't even think that way. You love this card. Where does it go? On your refrigerator. And when people come in your house, you show them what your grandchild or your daughter or whoever made for you. Because you love it. God has this big refrigerator in heaven, and it's all on there, friends. It's all on there. It's all his. Every movement of our life to him is good and efficacious. Friends, if he wanted us to pray like angels, he'd make us angels. We pray like humans because he made us human, and it's good to be human. He's okay with that. He's redeeming that. He became one with that. So stop judging yourself. Stop putting it down. Putting yourself down. Just breathe it. Be with him. Every time we move toward him, we're in him. Because he was already there before we moved. Teresa of Avila says, There's nothing, a prayer is nothing more than a friendly conversation with the one we know loves us. A friendly conversation in which the soul speaks heart to heart with the one we know loves us. So we can all have a friendly conversation and we can all speak heart to heart with the one we know loves us. See, God, you can talk about the weather and sports, but he's not interested. He's interested in your heart. Heart to heart with the one we know loves us. And friends, we all have our stuff. We all have our secrets. We all have the stuff in ourselves that we know are contradictory. We all have our things that we're ashamed of. We don't even want to bring them into consciousness. We'd rather pray. We know they're there. I'll just, I'll just do my prayer and keep it here. 
It says in the Bible, your father who sees what in secret. Friends, your father sees it. But it's your father who sees it. Your father. We have nothing to fear. And the best freedom we have in prayer is we take all of that heart to heart with the one we know loves us. And that's transformative. You do that every day, 20 minutes, I'll guarantee you it'll change your life. 20 minutes to change your life. Service. Why is service a conducive condition for encountering Jesus? Because it's a love commandment. They asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He said, to love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He asked for one. I mean, they asked for one. He gave two, but no, he gave one. See, so you have a coin, you know, and there's heads and tails. There's two sides to a coin, but it's only one coin. To love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, is all one reality. We divide it. Jesus doesn't. And Matthew 25 says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. I love the response. You know, this is a judgment scene, friends. We would have never made this up. The bar's too high. But I love the response of the ones who did and didn't. They both said, when did we see you? I didn't see you there. I didn't see you. But it was Jesus. Every act of love and service is, again, efficacious. Every movement toward the other is a movement toward God. We don't get that. See, again, I'm just being nice. No, no, every movement is a movement to Jesus, if it's love. You know, love in the Bible is not a feeling. It's hard for us in our culture. It's all romance. It's not feeling. It's an action for the good of the other. And every time we act for the good of the other, we're in Jesus, whether we're conscious of it or not. Now, Christianity is not about uh, personal self-improvement. And it's not about getting into heaven. That comes later. It's about a mission to love God and our neighbor while we're here. And no one has ever experienced God in the Bible that wasn't get sent, wasn't sent in some way in their life. Friends, you are being sent. And every aspect of your life where you're being challenged to love, you know, like, we think of the big things, like I go to Haiti, a couple of things, you know, oh, you go to Haiti. Not everything in your life is God efficacious work in love when you serve. I'm going to read something from John Henry Newman that, I, I, you know, this kind of like gets it into, stop judging it, just, okay. John Henry says this, God has created me to do some definite service. He has committed some work for me that he has not committed to another. He's committed something for me he has not committed for another. I am different than everyone in this earth, and he made me that way for a purpose. Okay? That's what he's saying. I have my mission. I may never fully understand this mission in this life. I will in the next. See, I'm a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for naught. I love that. He hasn't created you for naught. 
I shall do good. I shall do his work. I shall be an angel of peace, a preacher of truth in my own place, while not intending it, if I but keep his commandment, to love God and my neighbor. Therefore, I will trust him. And this is kind of the lines that kind of wreck me. Wherever I am, I can never be thrown away. If I am in sickness, my sickness may serve him. In perplexity, my perplexity may serve him. If I am in sorrow, my sorrow may serve him. He does nothing in vain. He knows what he's about. He may take away my friends. He may throw me among strangers. He may make me feel desolate, make my spirit sink, hide my future from me. Still, he knows what he is about. That is how intimate God is at work in your life, friends. In all of that stuff that we kind of don't think he's there. We just struggle with it and kind of remove the divine. When all along, he's in the midst. He does nothing for naught. But that takes faith, huh? Lord, may we have that faith. Last one is community. I'm going to be really brief. Why do we pray? To encounter Jesus. Why do we serve? To encounter Jesus. Why do we have community? To encounter Jesus. I'm going to be brief. Use the story of Emmaus, the road to Emmaus. We've heard this a hundred times. Mark is answering the question, where is the risen Jesus? People are asking him, where do we meet him? Good question. We ask it. Oh, this is about encountering Jesus. Well, how do I encounter Jesus? He gives three ways in his gospel. The first is he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. They recognized him. They met him. They encountered him. Somewhere in this journey of faith, friends, that's got to happen to you. No one can prove it to you. No one can make it happen. But it's meant to happen. Second, we're not our hearts burning within us when he spoke to us and opened the scriptures to us. Somewhere in this journey of faith, we're meant to burn with the word of God. Be it preached, be it spoken, be it read, be it reflected on. It's meant to burn our heart in such a way that we're never the same. No one can make that happen. No one can prove that to you. But that's got to happen. And the third way we meet him is in the shared life. It happened that while we were conversing and debating, it happened while they were conversing and debating that Jesus himself drew near and walked with them. Now, friends, these are disciples. Jesus died in the worst possible way. In Deuteronomy, it says, Cursed is the one who dies on a tree. He was cursed in their mind. They could not have been lower in their minds, their hearts, their, everything was dashed. They were leaving town. They're leaving town. They're checking out. It's, it's done. They even said, 
we were hoping he was the one, says in the Bible. We, we were hoping he was the one. Now in Greek, when it says they were having a conversation, the word means it was this deep gut talk. They were talking from the deepest part of themselves, one with another. And when we share deeply with another disciple, it creates a place for him. Because what happens here is that Jesus just showed up and started walking with them. How beautiful is that? It's one of the most beautiful lines in the gospel. He just shows up and starts walking, and they don't even see him. Friends, when we share with another our life of faith in some way, shape, or form, we create a space for him to come. We create that conducive condition. In fact, this even happened before the Eucharist, before the Bible. It was the conduciveness of their life in the sharing of it in utter truth with one another that created the space. Friends, this is the hardest part for us. We're Americans. We don't do this well. John Newman says, so much holiness is lost to the church because we, brothers and sisters, refuse to share the content of their heart one with another. In some way, shape, or form, we've got to find that, a sharing of life in faith. This is what church is. I'm going to end with a story. I, wasn't, I don't share this very often, and it came to me as I was praying, so I hope it was meant to be for you. Uh, it's a story that I think... Uh, it's, a, a very dear, uh, pivotal time in my life, and it's a story that I think reflects to me the power of prayer, the power of loving service, and the power of community. Am I okay time-wise for just a couple more minutes? You sure? Okay. Okay. Okay, one of my best friends is uh, Fred Pierce. Uh, Fred uh, is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He's one of the most loving people I've ever met. He's a great family man, adores his kids. He smiles at everything. I've never heard him say an unkind word about anyone. He's very involved in his faith. He has these great kids, five kids. He's going to be studying to be deacon 15 years ago. He's uh, repairing, he's uh, fixing his pool filter. His pool filter had a lid that was like this, about 20, 25 pounds of heavy plastic, large, and for some reason it exploded, crushed in the side of his head, and went 30 feet into the air. Fred was medevaced uh, by helicopter, University of Pennsylvania. They <clears throat> basically looked him over to see if they he was going to survive, if they should even continue working on him. His, his face was actually concaved in like that. So I went to the hospital right away, saw him. They decided they were going to keep him alive, and so they hooked him up. Um, he was unconscious completely, of course. He was in extreme intensive care for a very long time. So um, I would go there most days um, and be with Laurie's wife. And he had five kids and he was well-loved. So always people, always people in the waiting room. So uh, one time, for some strange reason, it was just Laurie and I. And she could only go back with one person to see him. So she said, would you like to go see him? I said, uh, sure, I'd love to. So we go back. I don't know if you've ever been to uh, 
these extreme intensive care units. But there's a half wall, and his bed's there, and there's, everybody is out there, and there's machines everywhere. Lights are beeping, and there's these sounds and these beeps and lights are blinking. Someone's coming in literally every three minutes to look at something. He's completely in a coma. His face is literally caved in. He's all hooked up. And Lori uh, says to me, let's go pray with Fred. I said, sure, I'd like to, love to pray with him. Now, normally when I go to a hospital, I pray quietly. It's the way I am, actually a little shy, and I pray quietly with people. So we start praying over her and him, and he says, she goes, no, no, no. We've got to pray out loud, John. Out loud, what? She goes, well, you know, when they're coma, sometimes they can hear things. I said, okay. So, so let's pray out loud. So pray out loud. So let's do the Psalms. Let's do Psalm. And she has the brief. Back and forth, you know, do the Psalm response. Psalm response. She goes, louder, John, louder. I'm like, oh, okay. Louder, louder. And we're shouting, really literally yelling this in his ears so he could hear the Psalms. Back and forth the way we do, you know, back and forth. Then she goes, let's sing. Okay, so let's sing. Let's sing. Let's sing his favorite hymn. I don't know what it was, his favorite hymn. So I start singing. He goes, louder, John, louder, so he can hear it. So he can hear it. So we're singing out loud. We're praying psalms and singing hymns over his broken body. Because that's what disciples do. It's what people of faith who have met Jesus can do. It's what people who love another who's broken can do. It's what people who share that pain together in community can and do together. It's what happens in the life of faith. That woman brought me to that place, and I'll always be grateful. And this is where the Spirit is bringing all of us, to that kind of place, well, we can face this and live in this because we're people of prayer who praise him and pray to him in all circumstances. We're people who love one another and stand with them in the darkest of times. And we're people who share our pain and our disillusionment in faith. Thank you for listening today and sharing the good news with Deacon John, who asks you to come back often to listen and to support him by subscribing and rating the site and to please share our site with others. And Deacon John wants to hear from his listeners around the globe. He has an email. It is askdeaconjohn at gmail.com, where he will happily respond to your questions and thoughts. Thank you.